Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. You're listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> With the pandemic in full swing, people are stocking up on food supplies and staples and retreating into bunkers, hurriedly dug backyard tunnels, and other undisclosed locations. But you might also want to stock up on stories and entertainment, too. If you love the Wicked Library, and why would you be listening if you don't, we'd like to remind you that we rely upon the support of our listeners to keep making the show you love. While our free show does contain ads to help us offset the costs of production, The show is expensive to produce, and without Patreon and website members, we couldn't keep making the show in its current form. Season 10 has over 20 full-sized episodes, custom-written just for us by some really big names in horror, with amazing voice actors telling the tales, and custom scores by the amazing Nico Viteze. Plus, we're making several all-new Private Collector episodes, Not only do our supporters get the satisfaction of knowing they're a part of making the show possible, but we give out wicked fun rewards like access to our archives, ad-free shows, and more. Plus, at the $5 a month and above level, you get more content, like our show Wicked Fairy Tales, as told by your librarian. Private collector-level supporters hear our audio drama episodes several months before we share them with the full audience, and of course, all of our content is ad-free for supporters so you don't have to listen to stuff like this. Sign up today at patreon.com forward slash wicked library or at thewickedlibrary.com. We're working very hard to make the show sustainable, but we do need your help to do that. Hello, and welcome to episode number 1003 of The Wicked Library. I'm Daniel Foytek, and I thank you for listening. A big thank you to those who took the time to rate us five stars and write a short review for us on iTunes. Your ratings do help others find the show, and of course, we love hearing from you. The librarian asked me to remind you that our first written anthology, 13 Wicked Tales, is available on Amazon in print and Kindle, and packed with great tales by some of your favorite authors from the show, including today's author, Meg Haftal. The book also features beautiful cover art and illustrations by Jeanette Andromeda. It's a fantastic collection, and we know you'll want a copy for your own Wicked Library. Get yours today at thewickedlibrary.com forward slash read. As always, before we get started today, a big thank you to those of you who are supporting the show. Without you, this show would not be possible. On behalf of our authors and everyone involved in making the show, a sincere thank you for your support of this show and of independent horror fiction. If you're not yet supporting the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. Today's episode features a dark tale by returning author Meg Haftal, with a story written by her just for us, Bramblewood. Today's storyteller is the very talented Jessica McAvoy, accompanied by a custom score written by our resident composer Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. If you enjoy the story, please find Meg's work and buy it. It keeps her making more. You can learn more about Meg and find links to her work on her bio page at thewickedlibrary.com. Now, let's get wicked. I know what you're going to say, and you're right. 
It was a mistake to leave in a scarlet hot rage, digging the crescents of my nails into the tender flesh of my neck. It was all I could do to walk out in those regrettable cork wedges, out of the front door of Rowdy's, pinching myself because if I pinched him, well, I might not stop. I know you'd tell me not to let a man talk to me the way Rowdy does. That's what I'd tell a woman if she was in my same position. He's not worth it, I'd say. He'll never grow up. He'll call you names till the end of time. I know. It was a mistake to pass his shitty Dodge pickup and kick the tire. I stubbed my big toe and cracked my teal polish. And I know the biggest mistake of all was hooking out my thumb at the end of Rowdy's gravel drive. But tears, sour and stinging on my bottom lip, clouded both my sight and my judgment. Music, the god-awful retro-punk Rowdy grooved his skinny hips to, thumped behind me, a loud reminder of Rowdy's insistence on disobeying the world. His mom had warned me, and Sylvia, my best friend, too. The Ramones vibrated up through my sandals like he'd set his stereo to some sort of earthquake setting. Summer, cloying and sticky, made my frown deepen. Rowdy's neighbor appeared in the darkened section between their houses. He pressed his thick legs into the scraggly bushes. Hey, tell that boy of yours to turn it down or I'm going to knock his head off that scrawny neck. The man spoke with a thick, oaky accent. I had noticed that drawl before, when he yelled at Rowdy over the dead cranberry bushes nearly every night over the music or trash or for screaming at me. He's not my boy anymore. I held out my arm as straight as could be, making certain my thumb was visible under the sagging street lamp. Call the cops. This possibility made me grin. I sucked the last few tears up my nose. The neighbor guy was always dressed in a pair of muddy shit kickers. This night was no exception. I watched as he swayed from side to side on the untied boots thinking about my suggestion with a surprising amount of consideration. Yeah? And what'll that solve? He finally asked. I shrugged. The man gestured toward me with his right hand. I caught a glimpse of a high boy in his grip. You shouldn't hitchhike. It's dangerous. When he said it, I felt the rise of my anger again. It scorched my skin and made the cuts on my neck as fierce as a grease burn. Well, I don't have my phone, I lied. I'd drive you, but you're three sheets. A gurgling sound started in the man's throat. It was a laugh, I realized. A wet and drunken laugh. To the wind, my dear. Three sheets to the wind. You call them when you see them, don't you? I gave another shrug turning my attention to County Road 92, where Rowdy had lived his whole miserable life. Someone had to be coming. The light from their headlights would illuminate my slightly crooked thumb, and I wouldn't have to talk to the neighbor man. He hiccuped. This road gets damn quiet at night. I mean, if it weren't for your shithead boyfriend. I said he's not my boyfriend anymore. 
That was a lie too, I think. Even then, I knew I'd be back. Rowdy's music shook the ratty window screens of his house. I looked back at the man in the bushes, wishing he would go away and leave me to my dark and lonely road. At least Rowdy, drunk and pissy, wasn't running out after me. That would be more than I could take. The neighbor man didn't seem to notice that a sharp bristle had scratched his hairy thigh. Blood traversed his rough skin, winding around a varicose vein before disappearing into the open cavern of his left shit-kicker. I wanted to pinch the vulnerable skin of my neck again, to forget. Suddenly, the sound of a motor moving west cut through the music. I actually felt the heat of my anger mellow. With a deep inhale, I stuck my thumb out as obviously as I could, balancing on one sandal as I leaned forward. The white sedan, a Toyota I think, rolled to a stop at the edge of Rowdy's drive. Unless it was Ted Bundy himself, grinning while he sported a fake cast, I was jumping in. He drove a VW bug, Darcy. A yellow bug. And he's dead, I muttered to myself while lowering my arm. It had already begun to ache from the hitchhiking effort. The driver's window buzzed down. A woman, not Ted Bundy, stuck out her pale elbow first. Next came her moon face, nearly a perfect circle. It was framed by slick, shoulder-length hair that glistened a little too heartily under the street lamp. Don't you have Lyft? Uber? She wrinkled her pug nose at me. I guessed she was knocking on 40. Nah. I moved closer, away from Rowdy, away from the man in the bushes. Pointless anyways. The woman gave a high-pitched titter. It reminded me of the squeak Bucky, my mom's chihuahua, makes when he wants a slice of bologna. The Uber drivers in this town are all meth heads, she continued, eyeing Rowdy's neighbor. Foster? That you? Evening, Pamela. When he spoke her name, it made me all the more eager to get in her car. She was from the neighborhood. She probably even knew Rowdy and what a royal piece of shit he was. I got close enough to touch the hood of her white car. It was oddly clean for a rural Texas vehicle. New, I realized. New and untainted by the desert soil. Getting in? The woman leaned back, setting both hands on the steering wheel. I nodded, not daring to take a look over my shoulder at my life. The sound of Rowdy's music trickled away as I hopped into the passenger seat. When the woman hit her window button... The synthetic beat was mercifully killed for good. The new car smell made me happy for a beat, and then my nose was filled with strong, floral perfume. It came out of every crease of Pamela. When she shifted in her seat, I could nearly see a plume of it escape the folds of her polka-dot blouse. Here. She pulled a Kleenex from a little package in the console and dropped it on my denim skirt. If it's a man you've been crying over, just tell me it's not that old pervert Foster. Unaware of the makeup disaster on my face, 
I swiped at my cheeks with the tissue. Gross, no! I looked down at the mix of tears and smeared mascara. The woman let out a relieved sigh. She put the car in drive, heading toward town. I'm Pam. Darcy. Not sure what to do with the soggy Kleenex. I stuffed it into my purse. Thank you for picking me up, Pam. No problem. Her honey-colored hair looked hard, like she dipped it in shellac. I had the strangest urge to reach out and touch it. I assume you're heading into town? Where do you live? Her question was like a blinding wallop to my gut. Until 20 minutes ago, I'd lived with Rowdy Thaw, master at pretending to be a decent boyfriend. I had been so desperate to get away, I hadn't remembered there was nowhere to go. Instinctively, I brought my sharp nails up to my neck and pinched the skin just below my right ear. You shouldn't do that. I pulled my hand back like an embarrassed child. Hurting yourself won't help anything. It only makes you feel worse about... everything. Trust me. Pam spoke with tenderness. I wondered how someone like her, in a brand new car and wearing a blouse with no wrinkles, could know anything about something so shameful. She directed her eyes back on the dark road. Where are you heading, then? Uh, well, there was no way I was going to my mom's. Her knowing smirk, that subtle raise of her top lip at my misery, would wring me dry. My friend Sylvia was more than busy. She had a newborn in the ICU in El Paso, premature, which left my brother, and there was no chance he was home on a Friday night. He'd be at that dive bar, the one with no name where Rowdy brought me when he was feeling rich. No place to go? I thought about sitting outside my brother's, texting him all night until I fell asleep on his filthy stoop. Well, I guess... You can stay with me tonight. She glanced over, offering a toothy smile. We have a guest bedroom. Oh, no, that's really nice of you, ma'am. Real nice, but I don't think I should. Call me Pam, please. And why not? She clicked on the radio. It was set to Radio Disney, but she quickly turned the dial to WFXD, our local Top 40 channel. You can stay just for the night, so you can sort out your problems. A good night's sleep will put everything in perspective. I noticed a bag of goldfish crackers in the console, next to a small, sparkly headband. You have kids. I don't want to bother them. Heavens no. If they're still awake by the time we get back, they'll be pleased as punch to have a visitor. My youngest, Dottie, loves to give tours of our house. My stomach settled at the thought of smiling, happy Dottie in her sparkly headband. Okay, I guess, if you really don't mind... Oh, not at all. She squealed, and again I thought of Bucky the Chihuahua. Thank you. Really, I... I just can't look at Rowdy's face right now. Rowdy? Pam tightened her manicured nails around the wheel. 
you're the poor soul dating Rowdy Thaw? No wonder you're crying. I tried a little light-hearted laugh. It all makes sense now, I'm sure. Yes. Back, oh, ten years ago, I was a Sunday school teacher. Avalon Lutheran. Pam shifted in the seat, stirring up another cloud of stringent perfume. He was Ryan, not Rowdy then, of course, though he got up to a spitfire even at that age. I just about quit after he clogged the toilet with crayons. I haven't heard that one. Pastor... Oh, who was it then? Pastor Hyman. Oh, he made Rowdy sorry. Pam laughed. Made him take over for the janitor the rest of the summer. I bet he can scrub a mean toilet now, hmm? Not that I know of. A flare of anger ignited tightness in my ribcage. Not sure if I was mad at Rowdy or at Pam for making me think of him as a mischievous ten-year-old prankster. I turned from Pam, taking in a pleasant suburban development lit artfully against the night sky. Bramblewood, a series of taupe and salmon two-stories and well-trimmed cacti, was the place my mom promised we would live just as soon as she got a promotion at Denny's. Spoiler alert, it's been twelve years and she hasn't made manager yet. Oh, and she spends all her money on Miller Lite and flowy scarves. There was never any hope of Bramblewood. I'll stop talking about Rowdy. Pam thumbed her turn signal. Its rhythmic click told me I was finally going to enter the development. I'm guessing you'd like to pretend he doesn't exist. The Toyota turned. Sounds good to me. I studied the dramatic rock garden flanking both sides of Bramble Drive. The boulders and raw granite stones were surrounded by solar lights. Through the painted iron gates, always open as far as I knew, we took a slight curve, passing the first gorgeous home. There was a pool party in the back, barbecue smoking. Pretty neighborhood. I felt I had to say something. But truly, I was starting to wonder if she'd brought me there so I could marvel at a life I never had and would never get. We've lived here, oh. She waved her arm, producing another cloud of her potent perfume. Only two years this May. We're considered newbies. I used to be out on Willow, you know? Right behind the Piggly Wiggly. It was her attempt to remind me that we weren't so different. Oh yeah, I know where you mean. I guess that made me more comfortable, knowing she'd spent time at the butt end of the Piggly Wiggly, that she hadn't just sprung up from the soil beneath Bramblewood like it seemed all the others had. The women with slick nails and gold. Real gold. Bracelets that jangled on their impossibly thin wrists. Just down here. Pam turned left, down a shallow cul-de-sac. Her house was at the crux of the pavement circle, a traditional beauty with a covered porch and glimmering driveway lights. Three bulbous cacti filled in the space beneath that mailbox post. I chose this one because it looks like some sitcom house, doesn't it? The establishing shop before the jokes start. She snorted, hitting the garage door opener with the back of her hand. 
That's what I said. But my husband, Gary, he cares about the boring stuff. Property taxes and energy-efficient windows. This house passed his tests, thank the Lord. We drove into the pristine garage. Shelves lined the far wall, filled with tidy rubbermaids. If Rowdy was there, he would wonder what was inside them. His mind would be filling with all sorts of ideas. She kept talking as I followed out of the car and through the door into her house. Something about her realtor and Gary, but I wasn't listening. I was pretending that her house was mine, and that it was normal as day for me to take off my sandals at the threshold, while I felt a cooling burst of air conditioning through the strands of my sweaty hair. And Gary told her, You better throw in the hot tub. After all those headaches, we want them to leave it. And sure enough, they did. At the end of the narrow mudroom was a squeaky clean kitchen that, indeed, looked like the set of a 90s sitcom. I shit you not, there was even a plate of homemade cookies on the granite center island. As we entered, it became clear that Pam's scent emanated from her home. The counters were peppered with bowls of potpourri, and a caramel latte candle had been left burning on the glass surface of the spotless stove. Thank you, was all I could think to say. Oh, honey, don't think twice. I know what it's like to break it off with a boy and have nowhere to go. I kissed a lot of frogs before Gary. I tried to imagine her behind the Piggly Wiggly, her hair less groomed, smelling like cigarettes, kissing on some loser... I couldn't do it. Pam opened a cupboard above the stove and took down a cow-speckled kettle. The spout had been fashioned into a pink snout with a painted bell. Tea ought to do the trick. Soothes the soul. She filled the kettle with water. Got anything stronger? She swung her head around, her hair staying in place. That's not funny. There was something in her eyes... A purple flash that reminded me of Rowdy when he's drunk or pissy. Sorry. Yeah, lame joke. Pam turned her back to me, setting the kettle on the stove. I suspect you're under 21, Darcy. An unexpected warmth flushed my raw neck. I felt oddly cared for. I took a seat at the island, luxuriating in the air conditioning. Pam set an empty mug in front of me, white with black, fancy flowers. Have a cookie. The digital clock on the microwave read 9.41. It's quiet. I carefully picked one up, afraid to drop a crumb on her polished counter. The kids are asleep. They have school. Gary, too. He's so good at giving them their baths and tucking them in. Especially since he has to get up awful early to work at St. Mary's. I'm lucky he's such a hands-on dad. Oh, is he a doctor there? I took a small bite. It was delicious, of course. Uh-huh, trauma surgeon. The best in Texas if you ask pretty much anyone. How about you, Darcy? Where do you work? I swallowed. Cinema 6. That made me remember Rowdy was the only one who gave me rides to work. He had been good for something, I guess. 
I pop the popcorn and mop up the spilled coke. How was I going to get there now? Worry threatened to prickle my improving mood. Gary and I go there for date night on Saturdays. I bet we've seen you. Probably. I hadn't recalled ever seeing her before. I felt like I'd remember that hard, immovable hair. And her scent. Sweet, yet bitter at the finish. Once the cow kettle squealed, Pam placed a green tea bag in my mug and poured in the hot water. She kept on talking about Gary and Dottie and their son Andrew. I sipped and nodded, marveling at the serene beauty of the kitchen. I hated myself for being such a cliché. You look tired. Pam covered the cookies with saran wrap. Let's go to bed. Thank you, I said again, nearly crying. The thought of being in a bed alone, without Rowdy's foul Cheeto breath, made me weak with gratitude. I followed her through a formal living room, past a sunken den full of Barbie dolls and Tonka trucks. Even the toys were spotless and displayed in even rows, as though they were planted crops and not children's playthings. Pam noticed my interest. We keep things tidy here. She stopped with me in the shadow of the den. I grew up in an unkempt home. I knew from the soft way that she patted me on the shoulder that Pam knew I had grown up that way too. Not because she had ever known me, but because there are people who live in Bramblewood and others. People like me. Up the carpeted steps, into the darkened upstairs hall, Pam stretched her arms and gave a deep, trembling yawn. Oh my! What a night! Sleep in as late as you want. Thank you. It was my new mantra. The bathroom's there. Towels under the sink. She pointed to a slightly open door with a twinkling nightlight escaping through the crack. And here you are. She crossed in front of me, peppering me with more of her treacly scent, then opened the silver knob of a bedroom. I peered into the darkness, not surprised to smell more potpourri. Good night, Darcy. Good night. I felt for the switch on the wall as she left me. I clicked it on as I closed the door, revealing a room for a teenage girl. There was a white desk in the far corner with Nancy Drew hardcovers piled on top. A cozy chair on the opposite wall held a fluffy stuffed cat and a bright pink afghan. A poster of a leaping black stallion had been framed and hung above the bed, which was drowning with lace throw pillows. Like the kitchen, it felt like the set of a television show. I had the strangest belief that the drawers of the painted dresser would be empty, or perhaps stuffed with cardboard. I shivered, promising to myself I wouldn't peek. Had Pam mentioned an older daughter? I sat on the end of the lavender duvet, wondering what it would be like to grow up in such a tidy house. Ceramic horse figurines stared blankly up at me from the bedside table. One wore an unnerving human grin. Through the wall at the head of the bed, I heard the low hum of voices. 
Pam must be warning Gary that there was a 19-year-old trailer harpy mussing up their beloved daughter's sheets. Hopefully he wasn't the type of man who would tiptoe down the hall and check up on me, see if I really was a harpy after all. I lay back into the heap of pillows, tracing back to how I got myself in such a peculiar position. Rowdy would laugh. Another thought occurred to me. It was an unwelcome sort of idea that rolled in my head like a loose marble. Why would Pam be driving around the outskirts of town on a Friday night? There was nothing back there but Rowdy and more of those meth heads she spoke of. Her car was so nice and new, so clean on those back roads. Scratch, scratch, scratch. I sat up, holding in my breath. Scratch, 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 scratch. The horse figure on the table kept grinning, not toning up to any mischief. Tap, tap, tap. It was behind me through the wooden headboard, coming from where I assumed was the master bedroom. I flipped over onto my knees, pushing a few pillows out of my way to listen. Scratch, tap, scratch, tap, scratch. I pressed my hand against the cold wall, alarmed by the purposeful and measured communication. Images of fanged and menacing horror movie creatures came and went, leaving behind the heavy truth. My fingers curled into a fist. I gave one solid knock above the headboard. Tap. It was little Dottie, I told myself. Or silly Andrew. Nine years old, Pam had said, and looking to play. Yet the saliva in my throat had thickened, making it harder to swallow and both my hands instinctively found the tender skin of my neck. I pinched on both sides, struggling to understand the fear. The room, which had felt spacious, now squeezed at my sides. I was hot and anxious and I tingled all over. Questions and worries poised on the corner of my consciousness, whipping me into a froth. I kicked the remaining pillows off the bed and sprang up, uncertain what to do with all my strange, vibrating energy. My bare feet were vulnerable in the thick carpet. I felt every fiber. A voice within me urged that I stay quiet, if not calm. Something was off. Scratch, scratch, scratch. I pushed my thumbnail deep into the flesh at my jaw concentrating on the glorious burn rather than the whir in my brain. My free hand reached for the doorknob, and that was when I knew I would rather be on my brother's stoop, at my mom's trailer, or God, even back at Rowdy's, than in this pungent museum to suburbia. I snuck out into the dark hall. The pain in my neck made it easier for me to breathe. Illuminated by the bathroom's nightlight, the door next to my room nearly called to me. When I think about it now, questioning why I ever opened it, I have to consider what my mom says about me is true. That's why I fell in with Rowdy in the first place. I like to disobey the world.
that's what I say about him, but I guess I have to accept it about myself, too. So, just like how I stuck my thumb out to hitchhike, I stuck my hand out and opened that door. Fragrance, the most stifling yet, burned my nostrils. I buried my nose in my elbow, having a look-see. It was the master bedroom, decorated with fresh flowers and glass vases and mounds of potpourri. The bed was a four-post monstrosity beneath a lit chandelier. To my right was another closed door, a light coming from underneath. I could hear water running and Pam humming some Disney-esque ditty. I bent in a bit further, keeping my feet in the hall. A lump shifted beneath the pastel yellow comforter. Carrie, I whispered. There was a hitching, snotty moan. Carrie, hey, you okay? Were you tapping on the wall? I held onto the doorframe, freeing my nose in order to keep my balance. In the interminable silence, I heard Pam start up an electric toothbrush. Oh. It was an inhuman croak. Help me, please. Fear bled into disbelief. If Gary the trauma surgeon needed my help, he was far gone. I ignored the screaming voice in my chest and scuttled into the bedroom. Help. The pale, craven face in the pillow reminded me of my grandpa's open casket except Gary's lips were frayed and gnawed, like he'd been chewing on them for lunch. A dribble of dried vomit stained the comforter at his chin. You're bleeding, he said through his tattered mouth. I absently rubbed at the cut at my neck. What's wrong with you? What a pointless thing to ask. Everything, Darcy. Clearly everything was wrong. His skinny arm, ending in long yellow nails, was raised above his head. I tried not to think about him scratching the wall with those claws, but the remembered scratch filled my head with dizzy clouds like too many shots of vodka. Get me. His eyelids fluttered. Out. Call 911. I nodded as though I knew what the hell was going on. He looked as if he was part of the bed, sunken into the sheets, his chest concave and his eyeballs stiff in their sockets. It seemed to take every ounce of his energy to shake a metal band on his wrist. What I thought for a moment was a watch was actually a shackle chained to the cherry-stained post of the bed. Behind me, Pam's toothbrush ended. The faucet shut off. Gary's filmy eyes doubled in size at the sound of her shifting in the bathroom. I knew then, as I had probably known somewhere deep within me, that Pam was the one to fear. I gave the poor creature in bed an awkward thumbs up and turned to slip out. My bare foot caught in something wet and crinkly. Hurrying out of the bedroom, it wasn't until I safely shut the door that I realized an adult diaper, extra soaked, 
was clinging to my ankle. The bitter scent of piss mixed so improperly with dried flowers made me retch into the back of my mouth. I kicked the thing off, desperate to jumpstart my brain. My phone, my phone, my phone. It was downstairs in my purse, hanging beside the door out to the garage, right where that crazy bitch had told me to put it. My body swayed in the hall, which was feeling narrower with every second. I caught sight of a door across from my room with a pink wooden sign. It read, Dottie, in playful letters. Oh, fuck. That sparkly headband in the car stuck to my mind with more vigor than a soiled diaper. If there was a little girl chained up in there, I couldn't just leave her. I had to at least try to grab her on my way out. Fuck. I turned the handle with one hand while rubbing my throbbing neck with the other. Neon green stars swirled on the dark ceiling, projected by some humming electric cube on the dresser. Hey. Psst. Hey. I stared at the figure under the Peppa Pig sheets half expecting to see Gary's haunting, sallow eyes. Clearly fast asleep, Dottie didn't move. Low voices came from Pam's bedroom, a knot pulsed in the bottom of my belly, urging me into the little girl's dark bedroom to hide. Frankly, I was surprised my instincts were bothering, as I'd made it pretty clear I wasn't going to listen. If I was smart at all, I would already be downstairs, phone in hand. Over my shoulder, I made out a shadow by the door, and in slow, deliberate motion, I watched as the master bedroom knob turned. My brain, a dusty, useless wasteland, allowed my belly to take a turn. I swiftly shut myself in Dottie's room, leaving a sliver of door open in order to peek. Pam, barely visible in a robe and twisted towel on her head, walked to the closed door where she believed I was sleeping. She's going to see I'm gone. She's going to find me in here, crouched in a pile of stuffed animals. But instead of knocking, Pam affixed something to the wooden panel of the door. I squinted, unable to make it out. When she turned on her heel, Pam stopped so suddenly both slippers squelched in the carpet. She crouched, her eyes wild in the jagged light. The towel fell from her hard hair, slipping down her shoulder. She did not notice. Her attention was on the heavy, misplaced diaper. Terrified, I backed away, nearly toppling over a beanbag chair. My mouth opened, yet only a hiss of air, like a deflating balloon, came out. I righted myself in the hell of dancing green stars and grabbed for the poor child in the bed. Dottie's arm was hard and cold. I ran the back of my hand onto her forehead, like my mom did when I had a fever, and it too was remarkably stiff. Dead, dead, dead. No. Green light swept across the little girl's face. It was paler than Gary's, though her eyes were a bright, pleasant blue. It was the eyelashes, 
painted on and much too long that tipped me over the edge. You're a doll, I told the staring, lifeless thing in the bed. Its placid expression remained in agreement. A trembling fear awoke, not to just my own mortality, but to the inner workings of a tormented brain. I could only think of Pam stretching a pajama top over a nude mannequin while she cooed as though it were a girl named Dottie, a girl who liked sparkly headbands. Again and again that image revolved until a scream, like a pained caterwaul, shook the upstairs hall. Darcy! I hunkered down next to the bed, dizzy from terror and swirling stars. Darcy! Come to your room! You need rest, dear! I scratched into the side of my neck, concentrating on the pain. Blood, warm and comforting, trickled between my first finger and thumb. A door down the hall, where Andrew, pretend or real, may sleep, swung open with a thud. Darcy! Where are you? The desperation in Pam's voice rose like an ocean wave. You woke your dad up, Darcy! She was moving closer down the hall, banging on the wall with her fists, and maybe kicking with her slippers. I considered a classic slip under Dottie's bed, or even an ankle-breaking fall from the window above the desk. I imagined myself dragging my legs behind me into the driveway of another suburban house, begging for help as desperately as the gray thing that had once been Gary. Although at this point, I had to assume the neighbors were cannibals or vampires, monsters who made Ted Bundy and Pam look sane. But I'm too much of a coward. That's why I stayed with Rowdy as long as I did. So instead, I curled into a ball, just as Pam threw open the bedroom door. When the light flicked on, I buried my eyes into my knees, and I suppose, if I'm being honest, I feel like I deserved what was coming next. There you are! She sounded relieved. Bothering your sister, I see. My eyes screwed shut even tighter. I couldn't look at all that crazy. It might take me with it down into a vortex of insanity. Your dad is trying to get some sleep before a big surgery, and here you are scurrying all over the house. The star projector buzzed in the silence. I'm sorry. I couldn't stop shaking. It was as though I was cold. A bitter, frigid air swirled inside me. I'm sorry, Mom... The last word caused Pam to take in a sharp, surprised inhale. Without looking, I could tell I had made her happy. Happier than I'd probably ever be, especially considering how short my life was looking to be. I hoped she'd consider that and take it easy on me. Pam stepped toward me, crouching so close I could smell her sweet, minty breath. Come on. Let's get you back to your room. She spoke with more tenderness than my own, real mom had ever used. 
With weak limbs, I allowed her to help me up, my eyes still shut. Her hand was hot and sweaty. Apologize to Dottie, she whispered into the crease of my throbbing neck. I turned, allowing one eyelid to slide open. The doll's blonde hair pooled on the pillow in the stark light. Her red lips were pursed in an eternal pout. Sorry for waking you. It came easier to me than I thought it would. Play acting? Pam led me out of the room. She stopped to turn off the light and carefully closed Dottie the doll's door. My legs felt numb and my cheeks burned like ice. When she hooked my arm and faced me toward the opposite side of the hall, I saw it. The glimmer from the bathroom perfectly captured what Pam had hung on the door of the room I had escaped. A wooden sign with whimsical magnetic letters. Darcy. Something broke inside of me. It was an internal snap, like the brittle crunch of dead leaves under your feet. Rowdy had made me feel like this. Like if I didn't fight and scratch my way out, I'd sink and finally suffocate. You can apologize to your father at breakfast. Pam led me closer to those letters on the door. More audible cracks ran jagged across my brain. I began to flicker to what breakfast would be like. It was a nightmare tableau of Dottie propped up at the table, oatmeal dripping from her plastic lips, and pale Gary and I, sharing an ankle chain and in matching diapers as we choked down whatever Pam served. The final reverberating snap came when Pam leaned in close, whispering, No more naughty stuff, Darcy. Be your best. My body reacted before I could make sense of what I was doing. I whipped my arm away from her, hitting her in the cartilage of her nose with my elbow. Pam shrieked, scrabbling to grab me with one hand while she held her nose with the other. I stumbled backward, my hip banging into the wall. Help! Gary's ghoulish moan rattled my resolve. Get help! He hollered from the open bedroom. I held onto the banister, watching blood fall from Pam's nostrils onto her terry cloth robe. Darcy! Pam moved toward me. Her wide eyes swam with pain and disappointment. I turned my back to her, jumping down to the carpeted landing of the stairs. I ignored a snap, this one reel emanating up from my left ankle. The monster breathed fire behind me. As I rushed down the last stairs in the dark, Pam's frustrated screams and Gary's moans entwined in a sickening harmony. She followed in big, thundering steps. Lost in the shadows, I slid on the kitchen linoleum. I could only think of Dottie upstairs staring at the ceiling, twinkling lights playing across her dead eyes. I needed something sharp. Darcy! It's bedtime! A slice of moonlight cut across the kitchen island. I grabbed at the counter, desperately opening the first drawer. The light overhead turned on. 
panting, Pam stood at the threshold of the kitchen, her helmet hair finally showing signs of distress. She smeared blood on the light switch, an eerie sight in such a pristine room. I tore myself away from the nightmare waiting for me in order to rip open another drawer. I gripped the handle of a steak knife, raising it up in front of my face. She took in a long, shaky inhale and blew it out through a snotty bubble of blood in her nose. I know you're a teenager, she spoke much too calmly, so you feel this need to rebel. I get it, dear, I do. Pam extended a bare foot, her slippers obviously tossed in the chase. Don't! I waved the knife. I'll fucking stab you! Her eyes narrowed. They were complicated orbs of anger, compassion, even pain. Do not come in here! My voice trembled on every word. Pam nodded. I can make more tea or hot chocolate. You love hot chocolate. No, I don't. I never have. Tastes like shit. I have to admit I enjoyed how her cheeks slid into a frown. I'm leaving. If you follow me, I'll kill you. I stepped around the island, keeping the knife trained on her face. From the corner of my vision, I made out a glass door beyond the breakfast nook. It looked like it led to what rich people called a sunroom. Darcy. My name was spoken saccharine sweet. I ignored her, winding between the chairs and feeling the doorknob with my shaking fingers. Stay. She swayed back and forth on her heels, accidentally exposing the top of the tan bra beneath her robe. Stay and we'll be happy. Me and you, Dad, Dottie, and Andrew, we're a family. I had the urge to say something clever or mean, but I felt sorry for her at that moment before I pushed through that sunroom door. I even wanted her to get better. In one motion, I used my backside, pressing against the glass as I twisted the knob. My awkward momentum caused me to lose my balance. I fell over a darkened lamp on the slatted porch floor. The smell enveloped me in a hot, putrid embrace. It was more cloying than the house full of potpourri. It was death, vicious and oddly sweet. Bile tunneled up my throat, gagging me. I kicked and vomited, forgetting the knife. She was on me in the darkness, amidst the rotting lumps wrapped in sheets. Her minty breath stung my eyes. Quit! Her clawed nails found the vulnerable skin on my neck. The pain made more vomit come. I felt the hot stink on my chest and was glad it helped cover the smell of death. I fought her in the unstable moonlight, kicking at her belly and tearing at her crunchy hair. She yelped and dug her nails deeper, her weight pinning me to the floor. I felt the knife flat against my back. Come home! She wept. Tears 
Hers or mine, I'll never know, soaked my cheeks. This is home! I stopped fighting. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, letting her cry on top of me in that room full of death. Home, I nodded. This is our home. I'm not sure if I was play-acting for her benefit or for my own. Yes. Yes, we're happy, Darcy. Happy. We belong here. Pam raised herself up on a knee between my legs. As she gazed down at me, smeared in sick and blood, her hair frazzled, I could see the woman she had been. The woman who had lived behind the Piggly Wiggly and wanted more. My hand shook as I lowered it to the floor. I stared into Pam's eyes as I slid the knife from underneath me. You know, looking back on it now, I think she knew. I think there was a small, or maybe even a big part of her, that needed me to do it. I am a coward. But I didn't hesitate. As soon as my hand found the blade, I rocked onto my side and then forward, finding purchase on the handle. I thrust the knife into the exposed skin of her chest. I'll always remember that feeling, of the serrated edge sawing into her ribcage. The sensation comes to me on long nights, along with the smell. Pam tried to scream. It was more of a hoarse wheeze. She sprayed blood from her mouth as she pinwheeled backward. I removed the knife and stabbed again, at some point standing above her in the dizzying horror. I know I kept stabbing until she was as lifeless as the rotting corpses around us, and until the tears dried on my face. It was as though I was in a coma after that. A waking nightmare. I crumbled to the slippery floor, trying to make sense of the shapes around me, of the stained sheets with hands and feet poking out, of the gaping wound in Pam's chest, a ragged, red, confusing maw. Gary moaned upstairs. It was the tortured cry of someone who would never be the same. The knife was on the floor, and I stared at that, too. It made me think of Rowdy. I'm not sure why. The moon called to me. It was round and hardy. I stepped over them all. The big lumps. The little ones. Pam. My slippery hands struggled to open the porch door. Finally, I was out, stumbling down a few steps on my numb ankle. A pleasant desert breeze rippled the water of the backyard pool. Outside smelled like the dying embers of a barbecue grill. I followed the lights of Bramblewood, tall, wrought-iron street lamps with swinging pots of chrysanthemums. I passed a shining red Corvette in one driveway. There was a koi pond at the entrance of the cul-de-sac, where I stopped to watch the orange fish leap over each other in a coiled arch. As I walked, my fingers found the screaming hiss of pain on my neck. 
By the time I reached the gates of the development, I knew where I was headed. I'm coming, Rowdy, I told the darkness. There was no other place. Bramblewood was not for me, or for Pam. She knew it when she cried hot tears over me. She knew it when the tip of the knife first entered her chest. This time, I didn't stick out my thumb. I walked alone, barefoot and covered in my blood and hers, back to where I know, back to where I deserve, back home.